0: Welcome to the podcast, Working with Children and Young People. It's hosted by me, Dr Kay Calver. In each episode, I will be joined by a special guest to explore different career options relating to working with children and young people. We will also explore current issues facing the sector and offer top tips for achieving your desired career. In this week's episode, Falak discusses her role as a senior social worker within a child and family assessment team. She reflects on her experiences of studying for a BA Honours Childhood and Youth degree at the University of Bedfordshire and then a Master's in Social Work at London South Bank University to gain the professional accreditation she needed to become a social worker. Falak stresses the importance of gaining work experience in your local community and how her motivation for becoming a social worker Stemmed from a desire to better represent and support Asian communities. Flack outlines the different areas of social work and the key issues and pressures facing the sector. She also shares her experience of being both a permanent member of staff and agency staff, and how her role changed once she became a senior social worker. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Hello, Flack, and thank you so much for agreeing to talk with me today on the podcast. So for context, you studied childhood and youth studies at the University of Bedfordshire and you graduated um in two thousand and eighteen. So it's been um quite a while since since we've um kind of talked and seen each other, but I've been following your kind career on LinkedIn. So I'm really looking forward to hearing what you've been up to over these years. So um, do you want to just introduce yourself and then we'll explore what you're doing?
1: Yes. So hi, Kay. So thank you for having me on your podcast. Um, So yeah, I did graduate in 2018, I believe. And after that, I've done my master's in social work at London South Bank University. So it's been an eventful journey since then. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And you were saying just before we started recording that while you were doing your childhood and youth degree you already knew that you wanted to do social work so have you always known you wanted to be a social worker or was that something kind of you decided whilst you were at university?
1: So I've always known that I wanted to kind of work work with families and kind of make a difference in the community like I think with social work I don't see many people like this people like myself but social work is such a you work with a diversity of people and I feel like coming from an Asian background, we're not really represented. Um, So that's what really got me to do social work. So I knew I wanted to do and kind of help the people within my community. So while I was at university doing childhood and youth studies, I was also volunteering for CHANCE. Um, So that kind of supported me and gave me the experience I needed to get onto my degree. Um, So once I finished my degree, I did apply for my master's in social work, but I also applied for the frontline and step-up programme. But unfortunately, I didn't get in. But I think that was a blessing because I really enjoyed the master's degree. But I think the Frontline and Step Up program, it's for, I would say, mature students that have a lot of frontline experience because the Frontline program is a lot more intense than the master's program. Okay. So lots of really interesting points. Yeah. So,
0: let, let's let take a step back. You said while you're at university, you volunteer for an organization called Chums. Yes. So just in case people haven't heard of that what is chums and what did you
1: do so chums is a charity so when i worked with chums i worked in the team that worked with children that have suffered a bereavement so they've lost a loved one either that can be a parent grandparent aunt or uncle so i would help out on their weekend sessions they would have these groups like over the course of three weekends i believe and it it's like therapy kind of support for these children um where they kind of learn about death and kind of overcome those feelings through play so during those sessions, we spoke about where people go to once they pass away, they create memory blocks. It was kind of a safe space for children to open up about their feelings and they're allowed to cry during those sessions and it's just to provide that emotional support for the children but also support the parents how they can manage the situation at home because it's, it's a very upsetting situation and it can be quite hard. Like, no one knows how to deal with it. Yeah. What, a, what a really valuable
0: um thing to do in the community and a, a really great um experience for you as well in terms of developing your career did you did you do that for the whole three years that you were at university or was that something you did for a short period of
1: time i'd done it for about a year and a half i want to say because it was so it was free i, d- I didn't get paid for it, it as voluntary work um so i done it for about a year and a half but i also used to support work as well but that kind of focused on Um, children and adults with additional needs and working with them and that was really useful because when I actually became a social worker I worked with a lot of children and adults that have additional needs but because I had worked with them prior I knew how to kind of deal with that situation so it's making sure you kind of put yourself out there and get the exposure that you need because when you come into social work you do need experience like life experience and working with people from different walks of faith and if you don't you can struggle sometimes yeah and that's the thing
0: you will work with a real diverse group of people, yeah. and having, as you say, um, those different experiences in the community, working with different groups of people, different ages, yeah, background. It's all of those interactions and experiences that will help you mm-hmm. as a professional develop your confidence, mm-hmm. develop your strategies. So that support worker role was that voluntary work through chance, or was oh. that like you did as like an, another role? So
1: that was a, a paid role. So I had done that twice a week so so I was studying as well so when I was at like at university I would work on the weekends so that's what I'd done for about two a year and a half to two years I would say okay, yeah so, so you were doing your childhood degree full-time you were volunteering
0: which chums at the weekend yeah. and then you also had that paid um, support work yeah and that was also weekend based or was that during
1: the week um, weekend based on some days when I'm not at university. So it really depends. Like you have to kind of just manage your schedule. Like it's a long time ago, so I don't know how things work. But yeah, so I used to do that so as long as Chums. But Chums was a, it was a every weekend. It'd be like, they would have like two to three sessions a year. And
0: yeah. that's it. So yeah, you can really see how like you were developing your experience in your yeah. and, you know, it was a nice balance between that voluntary work and then the paid work out of interest. What came first, the voluntary work or the paid work? The voluntary work. Voluntary work. Yeah. So do you feel like that helped you to get that paid um, support worker
1: role? 100% because prior to that, I had never worked. Like, So I really didn't have any exposure within the community, but working and stuff like that. So sometimes you have to kind of make those sacrifices and just do voluntary work because it also brought my confidence up as well and kind of helped me develop as a person. And then when I did actually get my paid job, like I was a lot more efficient, I would say, and I kind of knew what I had to do. Because sometimes if you go straight into a job without having any previous experience, like I was a very shy person. I think I really blossomed once I actually done my social work degree. So um I it would have been a lot more difficult for me to go straight into a job without having any prior experience like working with people.
0: So um if if you don't mind sharing people yeah. kind of a kind of a traditional university student yeah he came at 18 and mm-hmm. graduated at the age of 21 and so, then went on to do your master's so I think as you say you know you know naturally you're not going to have that wealth of yeah. work experience out in the community that would prepare you for social work so yeah. developing that whilst you're at university and having that extra time on your MA yeah been really supportive
1: yeah it was really good I think it's important like when you're studying like you need to kind of also parallel plan to what else you want always have your options open don't just be like focused on one thing because there's so many opportunities out there you need to be like okay what can I do actually you should have a plan a b and c but that's how I was as well because if one thing's not going to work something else might like don't get disheartened because when I finished my um degree in child and need studies I did initially apply for the frontline and step up program I didn't get it and I didn't really get disheartened because that wasn't really a reflection of me but it's just because I didn't have this experience that they needed so that's why I went down the master's route. because with frontline I see as a blessing you're kind of left to your own devices like it's a lot more intense whereas the master's degree you're a lot more supported it's like your bachelor's degree so you have to kind of weigh in like what's going to work for you and in the end like I've realized the master's degrees worked for me a lot more better than if I had done the frontline program or step up program so tell us a bit more about your
0: um master's degree then so you, you graduated in 2018 yeah. you then your peer degree and then you went on to do your MA in social work
1: yeah so I done that at London South Bank University and I think it was a really good experience because it gave me a lot of exposure to the placements I had so one of the placements I worked in Peckham was a child and family center and the second one was an Islington council and leading care team so like Coming from, like it was a it was a big exposure. Like I worked with a diversity of clients, and like the the problems that I would say like they had were completely different to what I had been like exposed to while, while living in Luton. So it really like kind of made me shine, and I kind of grew in confidence. I would say, the pro- it the program you have two year placements. So your one placement is, I want to say sixty days, or once a hundred days. It's been a long time, so I might have gotten the days mixed up but and also you have like um, you have to do a a lot of theories you have to learn theory and you do a bit of role play as well so it's all about kind of building your confidence learning the knowledge and kind of implementing that knowledge so you're at university and then you're also at placement so you're implementing what you're learning and it's a really good way to kind of get into social work and then the thing is you've got the support of your uh, lecturers you've got perhaps educator who kind of supports you as well or a supervisor so it was a good experience so you were saying that the
0: families that you worked with in like those London boroughs yeah. with the um, kind of experiences, some of the difficulties that they were going through were different to your own experiences living in Luton. Sure. And tell us about, obviously, you know, maintaining confidentiality, but can you tell us a little bit about kind of the types of families that you worked with or the types of kind of issues that they might have been experiencing?
1: So I'll give you an example. So when I was in Islington and the Leaving care team, like, I had come from Newton, like I hadn't really been exposed like now the gang like crime in Newton, has gone quite high but at that time I hadn't been really exposed to it so for me it was a big culture shock like working with children that are in gangs and kind of being like how do I work with them as well Um. so for me like it's just kind of being open to learning and like if you don't understand something just actually ask for help and that's what I've done you're not going to know everything Um. so yeah so sometimes like, you might find things really shocking and you, it's okay like but you're you're allowed to speak to your colleagues and your manager about it like if you if you find something that's quite shocking or you don't understand it yeah. yeah
0: yeah and as you say I think it's that kind of supportive mentoring role that you know you've got that opportunity especially as part of like a taught master's in a university to you know talk about kind of current issues and dilemmas looking at theming mm-hmm. it's you get to kind of roll, copy that out, and discuss it in in the classroom in like a safe and supportive space. Yeah, and going out into practice to then implement that. But then if you do observe or kind of engage with something in placement mm-hmm. that you're not sure about, you've got that kind of wider support.
1: The thing is, you're so as a student, you're actually doing what social workers do. So you so in the leading care team. I've done pathway plans. I've done PEPs. So I've done the child in need visits. So you actually do what a social worker does, but your manager will overlook it. So sometimes it can be quite daunting the first time you do it, but don't get worried. You're going to make mistakes, but your manager or your supervisor will overlook it and make sure it's correct, but it's about you learning. So they don't expect your work to be perfect from the get-go, but you have to be open. If you feel like you've done something wrong, just go and say, I think I've done this wrong. Can you support me? But it's when you kind of hide behind and be like, oh no, I actually done it right. It's you're allowed to make mistakes. We're humans, we're not robots. Yeah, so you mentioned two phrases there. So, Was it PARCO and PEPs? So pathway plans is basically when um, it's your plan for being in care and like it looks at how your education is going, how your health is going, how your contact with your family is going. So it looks at your whole life as a whole and what we can do to kind of um, improve it. And a PEP is like an educational plan to make sure you're achieving academically because there's a saying when children come into care, like they don't really achieve academically as children that are not in care so that's why we want to ensure that children in care have the best opportunity to education so now I work in the assessment team so once I've finished I came into the assessment team which is like frontline work so that's what I've been doing now so I haven't really gone back to the leaving care team so things must have changed by now
0: so I think this is also kind of something about social work it's like yeah. when we talk about social work we say you know I I want to do social work, I want to be a social worker. But actually, there are so many different types of social work that you can go into. So can you, if possible, have yeah. a little bit of an overview of the different areas of social work that people normally go
1: into? So with social work, you can go to children, which is a base, a lot of people go to children. That's like, so in the children's team, you do assessments. You can do safeguarding, which is child in need work, child protection work. You can do court work, which is when we look at proceedings. Um, that's when you can have removal. You can go into fostering and adoption. Um, you can also go into CAFCAS, which is working for the courts. You can then go for adults, which is a hospital discharge team, adults in the community. You can go into the mental health team, so working for CAMS. Um So there's so many options within social work. Um, sometimes schools in London also have social workers in a school, so you can work for a school as well.
0: Yeah, and I think that's really important for people to kind of stop and also think about in terms of that the, the air. It is a it's an area of social work. I think you know that's like the umbrella term, if you like, and then there's different ways in which you can kind of specialize in terms of what your areas of interest might be. Yeah preferred age group might
1: be and they change like honestly when i did my degree i was like maybe i want to go to like mental health focus under be amp trained but then once i qualified i so you have to do something called your asye yeah so it's a protected year in social work so when you do that you can be placed in any team you can give a preference but they place you wherever there's a need so i was put in the assessment team child assessment team, child and family assessment team and so i was like okay well i'm here let me give it a go and then i've just loved it ever since so I've never thought about going back into going into the mental health through of kind of like stays here. And I was like, this is where I enjoy myself the most. It's very intense, but um it's quite rewarding. So within the assessment team, what happens is like you deal with all the contacts that come in. So if anyone in the community or any professional have got any concerns for a child, it goes into the MASH team and they kind of sort out the contacts and then they pass it over to my team, which is the assessment team. And then we have 45 working days to complete an assessment. And within that assessment, we will say either... It closes down children as so, um, social workers always steps down to early help so it just needs low level support. Or maybe the family needs support under a child's need plan. That's a lot more structure. Or if we're like really concerned, we can go child protection and with the child protection there's every to visits every ten days, so you got it's a bit more intensive support, or if we're concerned and you want to go like legal, we'll get legal advice and we can go down the PLO process, but it really depends on what the concerns are when mm-hmm. the referral comes in. Okay, so, so you're in,
0: so it's called a child assessment team, so, child family assessment
1: Yeah, team. so there's different names, like every local authority calls it different. So at the moment, I'm in Hampshire in the CAS team, so they do children assessment and family safeguarding. So they, once a the case comes into them, they will keep the case until it leaves children services or if the child's been adopted or removed. But um, prior to that, I was just in the assessment team. So it's called just assessment team or child and family assessment team. And in that team, you just do the 45-day assessment and then after that, you pass it over to the safeguarding team. But some local authorities, their structure is that actually they keep, it's just a cast team because they want consistency for the family. So, so families aren't given from one social worker to another. You know the family, so you work with the family until you've completed the work. And sometimes that can be a very short piece of work, three months sometimes it can be two years it really depends on the family's needs and what support you're offering them yeah so to get a bit more of a feel
0: of of kind of like your work and your workload so you receive these kind of referrals then from the mash team which is the multi-agency safeguarding hub yeah might not have heard of mash before um, and then once you receive that referral is that are you meeting with people? Are you talking with people? Or are you sitting and looking at paperwork and compiling like a report?
1: So once we get the referral, our manager will alert us so we'll get a synopsis of what the case is. So you, we have 24 to 48 hours to see this child. Every local authority is different and every local authority has different timelines. We'll make contact with the family and kind of speak to the family about the concerns. If we can't contact the family, we will be complete unannounced visits. So sometimes like you'll you will be doing you'll be thrown into stuff. Like you'll be rocking up at someone's house. They don't know you're coming up. You're gonna be faced with angry parents and it's understandable, like we're intruding in the personal space, but at the end of the day we've got duty of care and we need to make sure these children are safe. Mm-hmm. So within social work you need to have a, a very thick skin, I would say. Because you deal with a lot of complex and challenging families. But we need to understand that they're families and they're humans, and of course they're going to be upset like anyone coming into their life and kind of be like, "You've done this wrong."
0: Yeah, and so I think, as you say, that that is an aspect of social work that that must be, you know, a very difficult part of the job. I think that you need to develop quite a lot of like tools and strategies around in terms of um, working uh, with families, dealing with you know difficult situations. And interestingly, you studied with um, Louise Eaton, who I interviewed earlier um, in the podcast. And I asked her, so like, you know, what advice would you give around dealing with difficult conversations um, with families? Because she's in the early help team. So It's quite interesting that so in your job, when you're kind of um, looking at these referrals, as you said, you might um, refer them onto the early help team, which like Louise wasn't it? So in your experience kind of what advice would you give around kind of some of these kind of difficult conversations with families if you're turning up for an unannounced visit and you're you know sometimes quite understandably you know confronted with a family that are quite upset about you being there maybe a bit confused how would you
1: I would say I always apologize I'm like I'm really sorry I've just turned up I did try calling you at the end of the day like you need to kind of understand that they're going to be upset but just apologize like and if you're saying something really difficult I always say that you might not like what I'm going to say now but I'm really sorry and I'm not trying to offend you or hurt you but I just want to be open and honest with you I don't want to do anything behind your back and then that usually allows parents to let their guard down and I always say like is there anything you want to ask me like do you disagree and I have those open conversations and I allow them to feel what they're feeling they're allowed to feel like that and if they're upset I'll say look you're upset let's rearrange for when you've kind of calmed down because people are going to get upset and we're human and they're allowed to be upset and maybe kind of rearrange that for once they've calmed down and kind of processed everything it's quite shocking as well sometimes the information we share with families
0: yeah and i think that's a really nice um, that's a really nice point in the sense of when, when we are upset yeah actually it can be really hard to to hear what people are saying and to take on board and to be able to kind of effectively communicate ourselves what what we want to happen or um, you know any questions that we might have, so giving them that time to kind of process that information, you know, be able to kind of self-regulate, calm down, kind of collect their thoughts and ideas, and then being able to have that conversation hopefully in a more constructive way. So I think anyone that's interested in social work, thinking about how to you know manage those conversations. Being supportive, being empathetic, um, is a really important part of your role. Um, In terms of your kind of caseload or your workload, how many kind of referrals would you say that you've got to kind of deal with on a kind of day to day or week by week basis? So
1: this this really depends local authority to local authority. Some local authorities, like I remember when I initially started social work, my caseload was about fifty. But now, 50 in five. No, 15 children, one by, yeah. But now that's very rare. So I think now, like you can get fam- you can get a case. So you would have. When I say cases, I mean children. So you would have, you can have up to like 22 children minimum on your caseload, and it can go anything up to like 35 to 38. And that's because there's a l- lack of social workers. So some local authorities are struggling to retain social workers, so the caseload can be high. So it really depends on what local authority you go to. Um, so that's why it's really important that before you apply for a job, speak to other people in that local authority, build connections, and kind of know what's going on before you go in.
0: Yeah, and it might also be an interesting question to ask at interview where they ask, "Have you got any questions?" And you can maybe
1: Always what... honest. Typical
0: workload might be. Give you an honest answer or not, but yeah, as you say, sometimes what they state is their kind of um, policies or expectations might be the lived reality, and being able to speak to people in that network is important. Yeah. Um, So you were saying that you know the the role of a social worker is intense. It is um, quite quite full on. You've got a lot of responsibility what would you say are kind of some of the kind of key issues or challenges associated with the job in your experience?
1: I think so what one of the issues is because turnover is quite high in social work a lot of people come and go so sometimes it's really difficult to kind of have that stable work environment it depends where you work. Um, Another key issue is like funding so depending on what local authority you work in some local authorities they don't have the money and because of that, we can't give the support we may want to give to some of these families, so you have to be very creative in how you support them. Um, another key issue is, I don't think in issues, I think you really need to be very open-minded with social work. You need to be—you need to know what's going on in the world, what's going on in social media, because when you work with families, you come across a lot of different issues. And if you're not like well-educated or if you're not keeping up to date with stuff, you're going to be like, but I don't understand why this is an issue. And so if you kind of know what's going on within the community, you kind of can support them a lot more. Also, know what resources are available within the community you're working in. Build connections, build relationships with food plants and stuff like that because they're going to support you when you need it the most.
0: Yeah, and I it's having that kind of effective support support network mm. for you as a professional and for the families that you're working with. And as you say, if you've got that local knowledge that yeah. you Further on to the places that are really going to help support them and i'm guessing in your area of work like the cost of living crisis must really be impacting um, the families that you're working with and that must be a real key challenge
1: yes i think one local authority i worked in like the local authority doesn't have much money so i think it did really impact what we could kind of the support we can offer the family and also due to like um I think money is a big thing nowadays as well. The cost of living crisis, as you said, there's a lot of poverty as well. So that really affects families. Like just basic stuff, some families can't even pay for their like heating, rent. So we need to know how are we going to support these families, and like how can we actually realistically support them? Sometimes it's like, do you kind of want to relocate to somewhere that's a lot more cheaper to live in compared to living in this area? Because, but some people families don't want to move because they've got connections here. But then, how do we support them? It's really kind of trying to meet them in the middle, like. It's really sad. Some families do have to move away because they just can't sustain the life, like their life where they're living.
0: Yeah, yeah, and it must be a really complex kind of dilemma of, you know, what what do they need? How how is that mm-hmm. best achieved? Um, in terms of the kind of issues and kind of challenges that you experienced as part of your job, I also know that you really love your job. So to add a bit of balance, what is it that you? really like or love about being a social worker
1: I think what I really like and love about ma- being a social worker is making a change like honestly like you do make a positive change on like family life there's some families that will actually say to you like thank you so much like I needed this help and it's you're helping people like you're making a difference to the community like these children that we work with they are going to be our future generation and like we need to make sure they've got the support that they need trauma is a big thing like I feel like everyone has some sort of trauma in them and I think being a social worker you can educate families on what trauma is and how we can kind of support children that are going through trauma and kind of making sure that they have a good childhood and a good future
0: and you mentioned earlier that one of your kind of inspirations for going into social is that you felt that there wasn't um you know people from an Asian community really represented yeah. in roles like this so do you feel like you've kind of achieved that now or do you feel like you are making an impact as an Asian practitioner in the sector and supporting especially Asian families
1: yeah I think so I got my sister to do social work as well so I I I do encourage a lot of people to go into social work and I think when I do work with Asian families I can speak their mother tongue I feel like I can get a lot more out of them because sometimes like and this is for any culture, like when someone train- a stranger comes up to you that you cannot resonate with, you're gonna- your defence mode comes in, like, I didn't do this, why are you here, I'm not working with you, you'll shut off. But because, you have to understand, some of the Asian families I work with, they don't speak English. So, like, I'm spe- so if I come in as I'm not speaking English to them, they're speaking to me in a different language. That communication's broken down already. You do have an interpreter, but it's not always the same. But I speak to them in my own language, and I feel like, I can get more out of them. I understand the culture. I understand where they're coming from. But then I can also explain to them that this is how it works in this country. This isn't right. I know that happened before, but we can't be doing this. And it does. Honestly, I feel like I get more out of these families. Mm -hmm. And I can support them as well. Because coming from an Asian community, I know sometimes Asian parents can be strict. And it's kind of like supporting these parents. Like, look, you need to have a balance. If you're too strict, they are going to go off the rails. And it's having those conversations and putting those boundaries in place. Supporting the parents to put those boundaries in place, so the children can have that freedom, but also they're listening to their parents. Yeah,
0: and I suppose yeah, you know, that kind of connection um, will help you build rapport with these families. So, yeah, yeah. Um, and as you say, being able to kind of you know relay and understand. And what what um, language do you speak? So I
1: speak Urdu. Urdu.
0: So yeah, yeah so on a very basic level, yeah, you can speak the same language as each other. That must be a really, really supportive talk. If they don't speak English or um, you don't speak it very well, being able to understand these situations must be, you know, really, really difficult for families. And, you know, that's really supportive. And while you've got the use of an interpreter, again, it's not a natural flow of conversation between, you know, so many people in the room.
1: It can get misinterpreted as well, like the way an interpreter kind of says something and the way you kind of take it because... There was one occasion like I had an inter- I used an interpreter and mum spoke Hindi but it's the same as Urdu but I I just used an interpreter so I could understand what mum was saying fully, I understand Hindi. The interpreter was not interpreting properly and I actually I actually had to pull her up and I was like no but she's not saying that so you have to kind of be mindful as well if that was a different language which I didn't understand I don't know what those conversations were like so it's really important that you kind of, if you can learn a different language, like try to speak a different language and have an understanding. Or if you can't speak it, try to like be able to understand what they're saying, if anything.
0: And also if anyone is listening that's interested in social work and can speak, um, you know, multiple languages, actually that might be something really important to um, put on their application, you know, to really accentuate that as a really important skill. Um, to be able to uh, work with families in their community. So, yeah, that's a, a really interesting kind of point about language, and it must be really supportive um, for people that you work I know. with. Um, so, to give us a little bit of an overview then, so you, I saw on LinkedIn, were recently kind of promoted to a senior in social worker. Yes. So, can you give us a little bit of an overview from? So you did your undergraduate, you did your MA in social work, you then left and joined the child and Family Assessment Team. Yep. And then, so what was kind of like the timeline or like your trajectory then over those last few years?
1: So I was um, for within one local authority for three years as a permanent social worker. And then I went, I left and I became an agency social worker. I worked in another local authority where I was then promoted to a senior social worker I worked there for about a year and then I went to a London local authority, um, still as an agency social worker, but I just felt like London was up for me, like it's it's very busy. Um, So then I went, so currently I'm in Hampshire, so that's where I am. So I've gone to Hampshire Children's Services, but I'm working the cast team, still as an agency social worker, But I'm a senior social worker, but they call it as an advanced practitioner. Every local authority has different names. Um, So What I would say is the difference between a senior social worker and just a social worker. As a senior, you would have more complex cases. So those challenging families, you might work with them. You also kind of support your ASYEs, you mentor them. And it's just giving the manager that extra support that they may need, supporting your colleagues with visits. That's what you do. So there's not much of a difference, but just in the what cases they're allocated to. Okay. And if someone was wondering what the difference would be
0: between being like a permanent member of staff and an agency member of staff what was maybe like your motivation for changing from a permanent contract to an agency role and what might be the differences in like pay and like working conditions
1: so why i changed into an agency social worker is because i do want to do my counseling degree so i want to be a qualified therapist so for me being agency just gives me that flexibility so when I do want to kind of study I can just leave like I don't have to give back a three month notice or stuff like that and that's why I do want to be that's why I became agency also with agency it's allowed me to kind of explore different teams where I'm not permanent so if I don't like it I can leave it but I've got that exposure to work within different teams and settings and so that's what kind of just motivated me to go from permanent to agency but there's also a big pay difference as well from from a permanent staff to an agency staff you do get paid a lot more but however you don't get holiday pay and you don't get sick pay and sometimes what happens is agency workers they will just work because they get paid and they don't take a break and that can kind of burn you out so sometimes the money can be good as an agency worker but don't make that your goal because you're going to get burnt out and you're going to hate social work like you need to have a balance
0: yeah so that's a really good Question. Yeah. Uh, I think people are aware of the role of the social worker, but also a lot of like the discussions around social work is that it it is um, a very stressful, very demanding, very uh, kind of emotionally, you know, um, demanding role. And a bit like lots of other professions like teaching, Mm -hmm. um, things in like the medical sector can lead to a lot of burnout. Yeah, um, and as you mentioned before, some of the kind of issues in the sector is like a high staff turnover. Yeah, well, go into the role, burn out, and they go. Do you know what this isn't for me? It, I can't do it anymore, and they leave. Mm-hmm. So you've, you know, you're still there. You're still going. So, yeah. what, what for you works? So how, how do you make social work work for you?
1: you have to be really strict like there were times that I'd be working weekends I'd be working late nights but it's about having a balance I make sure I put I annually I take time off for myself and I know it's easy to say but you have to mentally log off like I always kind of say to myself at the end of the day I can only do so much like it's on the family to do what they need to do now and um, but I would say yeah prioritize your own needs as well like I usually go to the gym after work like that really helps me so do what's best for you and find a technique that works really well for you. Yeah, and as you, I it's, as you
0: say, it's easier said than done. Yeah, you know, being able to you know leave work at work and then when you're at home, it's home time. But you know, as you say, some of those cases might be kind of lingering around in your head. But as you say, it's, it's better for you and it's better for those families if you if you can switch off, yeah. recharge, and then when you go back to work, you, you're kind of mentally physically emotionally more ready
1: for that i'll be honest yeah, like, yeah i'll be honest like i've had this is when i initially started at, not now but i would dream about my cases like i would wake up thinking oh my god i haven't done that but over the years and the more you practice a social worker you will realize that you need to learn to detach like and you will you will do that once you're like you you've got a good couple of years under your belt because you're going to realize no i can't be living like this so it's about having a balance and if you feel stressed or overwhelmed speak to your manager because let me tell you everyone's feeling like then it's really important that you kind of voice that to your manager that I don't I feel very overwhelmed with the workload I have or this family I'm working with I'm really struggling like you need to be open and honest because if you keep it to yourself you're not going to help anyone
0: yeah and I think that's the thing. I maybe mean, some cases might feel more triggering than mm-hmm. others, and having those um, kind of supervisions actually mm-hmm. your own manager to kind of talk those yeah. through Thinking about your own response and kind of reflecting on that, um, and know yeah, seeking that advice and just being able to offload on someone, yeah, really useful. Um, so the other thing that you mentioned was that you're interested in going into counselling, sure. um, following that route. So can you explain what what would that involve? What would it look like? And how does that relate to social work?
1: So it's a two-year part-time degree in psychodynamic counselling. Um, so the twenty twenty-three co- applications closed. I'm waiting for the twenty twenty-four one to come, open up. It's two days a week, evening courses, part-time, and you have to do. You have to have your own therapy. You have to do a placement, and you have to have a supervisor. Um, so it's quite intense. But for me, working in social work, I think we work with a lot of children and families that have gone through a lot of horrific incidents and that do need that extra like emotional kind of support and I think by doing my counselling degree I can be a better social worker to my families but also I do want to kind of go into the mental health route eventually so it opens up my door because I would be like an accredited counsellor so I could practice so it's something like let's just say if I do eventually become burned out, it's my plan B I'll just be a counsellor for now and then if I want to go back into social work, work I can because A lot of people go in and out of social work. Like no one's very consistent just because of the work itself. Yeah.
0: So yeah, so that's really nice to see that you can do that kind of part-time course alongside your agency,
1: social
0: work, and that you can see how you can draw that into your social work practice. Mm -hmm. And you also mentioned to me previously that you're hoping to kind of explore the next kind of progression step within your career. Mm -hmm give a little bit of an
1: overview i think the next step for me it would be like an assistant team manager so that's one below a manager that's something i ideally would want to do next year but then if i start my counseling thing i think i would focus on the counseling a bit more just because that's what i want more right now but so with social work you can go up very quickly and it depends what you want out of this i know social workers that have been in the field for 20 30 years and they just enjoy being a social worker they don't want the stress of being a manager but there's some social workers that do work themselves, work themselves up and want to be high up in management. It depends what you want to get from it. For me, I think being an assistant manager is more about kind of supporting social workers and also kind of making sure that I give social workers a nice experience so they stay. Because sometimes your manager has a big impact on if you stay or if you leave. Um, it's a stressful job and everyone gets stressed. So it's that's why I want to kind of be in the assistant manager's post.
0: Yeah, and as you say, if you can retain social workers, that makes it a better working environment, colleagues that have that ripple effect, yeah. also better for the families that you're working with to have that consistency mm-hmm. uh, and that they've got that um, social worker that they, they know, they're familiar with, rather than lots of changing kind of professionals coming in and out of the yeah. um, So thinking about money, yeah. so we've gone through various different... Um, Job rules within social work and kind of progress and you've gone from permanent to agency. So can you give us a kind of a little overview of what kind of a typical salary might be if someone's interested in social
1: work? So once you finish your social work degree, you have to do something called, which is an ASYE year, it's an assisted year in social work practice. Um, so within that year, you have a protected caseload. So you're not going to be given a full caseload straight away. So you do get paid around 30K but every local authority is different. Some pay more, some pay less. But I would say that's what the median number is. Once you qualify, you can get paid up to 41000 That's including your market rate supplement and all of those bonuses. That can also vary from local authority to local authority. And then if you become a senior, it goes up to about 43000 And then assistant manager is about 48000 50000 And then team manager can go anything up to about 60,000. And again, it really depends on what local authority you work for.
0: Yeah. So if someone was interested in that, it might be worth looking at where do they live and what yeah. maybe their kind of kind of bordering local authority salary brackets might be. Yeah. Just, you know, very um, small distance change can actually um, really make a difference in terms of what their salary might be. But I know you were also saying that it's not a job that You can be in it just for the money. You
1: can't because I'm telling you, like, there's, there's times I work, like, on the weekends, I'll work late at night. You don't get paid for that, but you have to, it's part of the job. Like, if you're doing this job, you have to do it wholeheartedly. Like, these are real people we're working with, these are families, these are children. Like, you can't just be like, oh, it's five o'clock, I'm logging off. Like, we're dealing with the real, real life problems. So, like, do you have to have a passion for it? Because at one point, the money's not going to be worth it. Like, I personally think social workers don't get paid enough for the work they do we work more than 37 hours there's social workers there's one day I didn't finish at eight o'clock at night so you will be finishing late so you have to really take everything into account sometimes you finish really early sometimes you might have to drop a family off like we social workers but to the other side of the country like I've had to drop a mum off to Coventry that's fleeing domestic violence like there's a lot of work that you do but you don't realize it
0: yeah yeah and I think that's the thing about a job, it's not a traditional Monday to Friday, nine till five, no. in the office. you log in, you log off. It, it it's so multifaceted that you have to be able to adapt and change depending on what's happening in that in that situation with those families. And you know, you might think, Oh yeah, today's quite a quiet day and then something happens and you think, Oh actually no, we really need to act and we, we need to make um you know, an intervention today
1: yeah and things sometimes like things happen at four o'clock on a Friday and you have to deal with it very rarely but they do happen so you have to be kind of prepared that there'll be days that you're going to finish late and that that's just what's going to happen all those days that you have to start really early but that's what happened as part of the job yeah so
0: if someone was interested in social work to kind of finish us off what three piece three key pieces of advice might you give to someone
1: I would say like get your experience like don't like don't come into social work straight away like have experience working with people like have experience working within a community understand what's going on in the community um that's my first advice second advice is always have a plan b like i think social work like eventually you will get burnt out and like have another something else that you would want to do like so you can so you're not just heavily reliant, reliant on it because you will be like i hate this but if you feel like okay I can go out of this for like a year do something else but after a year I'll come back a lot of social workers do do that they'll work for a couple of years go out and come back um and my third piece of advice would be is have a thick skin don't take everything personally like sometimes like these families will offload on you they will say stuff but you understand they don't mean it they're just hurting at the moment and it's just kind of learning to detach and be like okay that's how you feel it's not really a reflection of me
0: yeah Oh yeah, and I think that's an important part of that kind of process of that, you know, le- learning to work with families, being able to reflect on that, and being able to yeah. process those quite emotionally charged situations. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, thank you so much for like for sharing your experiences and best of luck in your career. Um. Uh, you. Really interesting to see whether you go on to do your uh, counselling course next September. And yeah, thank you so much for sharing your
1: experiences. Is there anything that you would like to add before we finish? um i hope hopefully i sell social work to you honestly like with every job you have good and bad days and i think social work is a very rewarding job and i think if you do get into it you will enjoy it there are there's i enjoying i enjoy most days and i hate most days so that stays a lot and i've been doing it for nearly five years next year without taking a break guys so if i can do it, i'm sure you guys can do it great thank you so much for that thank you
0: Thank you so much for listening to the episode. I hope you found it informative and inspiring. Please share the podcast with others that you think might find this useful and feel free to connect with us on Instagram.